The Recruiting Blitz podcast powered by the UC Report is back in the final ESPN 300 for the 2023 classes in the books. And ESPN National Director of Recruiting Tom Luganville joins us for a deep dive into the latest and final ESPN 300 rankings. We are almost at the conclusion of yet another cycle. 2023 class will uh the last signing period which used to be the national signing day is now the second signing period and uh kind of uh the tier two is about 90 percent of the class signed in december not 72 hour window and a week from as we're taping today february 1st is the start of the national signing day and uh the second period and said most of the class is signed so gives us an opportunity here to kind of really look back and kind of really get a good feel for this class as we had just this week released the final ESPN 300 player rankings for this class. And it's kind of, kind of evolved and changed. The number one when we started is no longer uh, the number one player, but it still is very strong at certain positions, including the quarterback class. And uh, it will be the perfect opportunity uh, to welcome our guests as I'm always joined by uh, my partner, Wade Jirasi. Craig, hello. Yeah, you know, and behind the, uh, behind the controls, uh, Danny Priest. <laughs> but uh, a very special guest this week is our partner in crime and putting us all together, uh, Tom Luganville, the ESPN National Recruiting Coordinator and soon to be uh, man, man, on the, uh, man on the sidelines or man in the booth for the XFL. So before he transitions to from high school to pro. <laughs> We'll squeeze them in here. Thanks for uh, joining us as always, Tom. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Hobbs, how, what's it feel like being the tallest guy in the room? Oh, oh man. <laughs> here we go. Wait, wait, Easy here pickings. We go. <laughs> much, much like the game, it's a podcast of leverage. So. <laughs> how you guys uh, doing, man? Everything good? Yeah, everything is great. Yes, I can't believe we're already uh, at the conclusion of another class. Uh, Under Armour game behind us and uh, a lot of great intel from that, getting a chance to spend a week with many of the top prospects in his class, the All-American Bowl, the following week wrapped up as well, and everybody's final rankings are coming out. And, um, so just obviously, if you go to ESPN.com, myself and Tom have some content up there. You can read a little bit more about the class. You can also go to ESPN.com to see the complete ESPN 300 rankings updated top 75 class rankings. But, you know, in addition to the written uh, content, I thought it'd be a good time to just be able to dive a little bit deeper into this class because I'm one of the things I think, Tom, is as we were putting this together, it it kind of dawned on me that this is one of the stronger classes, especially at the top that I feel like we've seen in a while. I remember, you know, going down and seeing like a C.J. Baxter, the running back who signed with mm-hmm. Texas at number 30, and being like, we got to get him higher. But I don't, I don't, you know, unlike what, you know, a lot of times I'm sure you get him fans will be like, why is this guy not higher? Well, who are you moving down? You know, and that's yeah. Yeah, how I right. kind of felt like with this top 50, even a little bit deeper, that was really good. It was tough to kind of move some some players around because it's, it's really strong. So I think obviously that bodes well uh, for college football. But do you feel kind of the same way about this class? I do. And I think what's so uh, a bit unique about it is the Highland high-end talent is really distributed um, positionally very, very well. I mean, you just look at the outside linebacker position of guys that are capable of being designated pass rushers. 
outstanding, right? You look at um, – you reference the quarterbacks. I mean, when have we – well, I can tell you when. Never. Have had four quarterbacks in the top five, right? And we were – I remember going back with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and we were like, man, two quarterbacks at one and two? What, <laughs> what is going on? I never would have envisioned this. And then, you know, I, I think tall corners, edge pass rushers. Um, I mentioned the outside linebackers. You referenced running backs. And, you know, Wade, it was something when we, when we, right before we came on air, you, you referenced we – we were talking about fans getting all upset with with class rankings or, or player rankings. And it's like, dude, I mean, the difference between these guys is an eyelash. Like if you're ranked 27 or 47, like really, I mean, what could we literally throw those two guys up against the wall and whatever one drops to the ground first, we'll put them at 27, we'll put the other one at 47. And at the end of the day, none of it will matter. Right. So it's just one of those classes where it's really difficult to decipher through how we're supposed to slot everybody. And obviously we can't resort to alphabetical order. That'd be the easy thing uh, <laughs> to do. But as always too, you know, with it being such a strong class and there's always such a, there's always such strong reactions, right? From like, I personally, I don't know about you guys. Like I love being the most hated recruiting group out there. I love it. I absolutely, <laughs> every time somebody throws something on Twitter I, I, I literally, I think it is so fun because um, everybody, and you guys, we used to talk about this. We Going back, what, this is our 18th year. And and I used to tell you guys, I'd be like, dude, you're going to be wrong, right? But own it. Like, that's what it's going to be, right? Dig your heels in and we'll recover on another guy. And then we would talk about, like, don't overgrade, undergrade. Because if you overgrade on somebody – He's got nowhere to go but down. Like, you're setting that guy up to be a bust. But if you really like a guy, maybe you've undergraded him, you're at least giving him the opportunity to have an upward trajectory and be even better than you thought he was. So, um, and then you're always going to have a disparity of, you know, do you guys remember Khalil McKenzie? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that heat we took from the Tennessee fan base for, like, 18 months, right? Mm -hmm. Or DJ Ungui Ungalale? you know, two classes ago or three classes ago. So there's always going to be that polarizing figure, right? And I think in this class, that polarizing figure is Nico. I think you guys would all agree. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, you talk about the scrutiny and this, this final ESPN 300 will certainly be scrutinized only because at the top it's weighted by the position that is the most scrutinized, you know, when you yeah. look at college football and you look at the biggest kind of attention getters in the transfer portal and the movement at quarterbacks. So we got four quarterbacks amongst the top five, but you figure trending right now is all four are not going to end up where they started, but maybe, right. maybe are they that good that they do, you know, it'll be interesting because, but uh, you know, we look at this quarterback class and as you mentioned, we've never had this many at the top, but it's, it was also probably one of, you know, as you mentioned, we've been doing this a while. A lot of times our, you know, we kind of know what each of our thoughts and beliefs are. And so things kind of fall mm -hmm. into place. I remember this is probably one of the more heated uh, discussions just about those three, those three spots. And I think we all walked out of that initial meeting with a different guy at number one, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. but then finally landing on, on a three that we have. What's your kind of thought process with the kind of the, the Nelson Moore uh, Jackson Arnold kind of uh, 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 hierarchy. 
Well, I, first of all, I mean, it's a huge risk if you're going to do that at the quarterback position, just because there's so many unknown variables. I mean, the failure rate is ridiculous. I mean, and, and like you said, now the, the transfer side of it's going to just it's going to start to cannibalize the, the, the position. Um, you know, I kind of liked the notion and I had to be talked into it a little bit, but I, I liked the notion of not punishing Malachi Nelson for being injured, playing injured. He played injured yeah. and all also was on a team with a terrible defense. I mean, he carried that football team. I thought Dante Moore, much like Jackson Arnold, had one of the better senior campaigns where like, you know, sometimes these guys can go on cruise control or, you know, they've already, they're all set. They know where they're going. They're going to be a mid-year guy. But th those two guys, you could argue, had the best years of their career yep. as a senior. So the continued incremental of progress. And Craig, I know you said this when you broadcasted Jackson Arnold's uh, game this fall. You said it was the single best performance you may have saw of any player in any position all year. You know, and again, high level of competition, uh, high expectation level. Um, some of those intangible traits, I think, are, are, are really important. So, again, I think you could take five or six quarterbacks in this class. I, I think you could. Jaden Rashada, Nico, if you want to take Eli Holstein, if you want to take Dylan Lonergan, um, we're talking about Jackson, Dante, Malachi, uh, Arch. I mean, all of them. I mean, if, if you really wanted to, we could just sit there and just every single day come up with a reason for this got to be one and this got to be two. Well, this got to be two and this got to be three. Somebody's got to fall somewhere. But, um, and I think we, guy, you know how we were close to making a move at number one there at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm kind of glad. I'm glad we sat back and thought that thing through a little bit, looked at it from maybe a broader spectrum of the team he was on, uh, playing through injury, um, having season-ending surgery. Uh, I, I think it was the right thing of, to do. And the prospect of who he's going to play for and that coach's oh. history of developing Heisman quarterbacks. So, and that was right. kind of, again, I – I had a vote in my mind for another one of those three to be number one, but that was kind of the argument too. That was like, yeah, been really successful. He was our number one. And, you know, you talk about fit. He's not going to be forced oh. to play right away unless something happens to Cal Williams. So he's going to be able to go in and sit and seem to be embracing that, which is refreshing. Yeah. And then play for a quarter a coach and a system that has a track record of allowing quarterbacks to shine. And that's a time horizon that's worked for Lincoln Riley multiple times at this point, where he has, uh, you know, a Heisman caliber quarterback on the field, right. brings in the highly regarded guy who isn't forced to play as the true freshman. And they've already, you know, they've already worked at that pace before. Well, and you think too, when he was at Oklahoma, outside of Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler on two back-to-back -back years, he had never had to coach a freshman. He was getting the transfer guys that were older. They'd been around. They'd redshirted. They played a little bit. Instead of being 18, they were 21. You know, I mean, that's a whole different animal. So, again, the development, I, Craig, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's such a steep learning curve at the quarterback position to play right away anywhere. Um, but to not have to and to watch and, and probably play quite a bit because, you know, they'll get ahead on people and they get some valuable snaps for them. But uh, I think it's going to be the best thing for them. If I had, if I had my, as a rule, I would, I would, I would institute a quarterback redshirt rule. Everybody redshirts a quarterback, <laughs> and you know what? The quarterbacks and the teams would both be better for it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's interesting. The next two are in a position where they could play year one and may need to play one in Dante Moore and uh, and Jackson Arnold. I mean, shoot, you could have argued that there were points in a little bit of a stretch there for Oklahoma, or they would say, "Are you where are you at in graduating? Can we get you here this week?" Yeah. 
so they be those two could be forced into action this year too. Uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see, but it is a really talented group. We got a top five: Malachi Nelson, Dante Moore, Jackson Arnold, Arch Manning, and then Nico uh, Iamaleava there at Tennessee. Nice. We already had a chance to kind of go through bowl practices, and early uh, early signs are obviously that he's he's kind of fitting in well and and showing the promise. So that's I mean that's really as impressive a top five as we've had. Probably you go back to Matthew Stafford and Tim Tebow. Yeah. And, and by the way, by the way, with him too, is you talk about a marriage of an offense and a skill set that's really, really strong. I mean, let's call it what it is. I mean, that's a plug and play offense. It has been all throughout college. There's been a ton of success and great. So it's an opportunity for one guy to leave, the next guy to go in, and he may not play right away either. Um, one thing I was thinking as we had mentioned about this being arguably the strongest class top 50 wise we've had in a long time, just to lay some context to that. We have 72 players with a grade that we typically associate with a top 50 position in the rankings. I went back right. and looked at previous years, and a lot of years, they only have 47, 48. So we have 72 players with that top 50-ish grade, um, which really speaks to exactly how strong we think the class is. And then we just brought up Nico. I think the other thing that's so interesting from a fan's perspective about this, because as we know, fans love to bicker back and forth about who's right oh. and who's wrong, whether it's football, you know, recruiting rankings, NFL draft, whatever. We have different quarterbacks at the top of rankings on the different sites. So I don't think 24 yeah. has finalized their rankings yet, but Arch is sitting at the top for them as he is on rivals. Nico's mm -hmm. the number one player on three. Of course we have Malachi, uh, Malachi at number one uh, and you know, more Arnold, you know, these guys also rated really highly too. So not only yeah. schools in the pride with the guy they got, but you know, the, the, the people that follow this industry and kind of knowing where um, the different quarterbacks are rated on the different sites is going to be an interesting little game to follow the next couple of years. And I don't know about you, Tom, probably the question I get the most from people, uh, not even fans, but within the industry is, what do you think of Arch? You know, it's, you know, it's almost kind of like he's, <clears throat> he came out of the gate so strong because his last name is Manning, got yeah. that ranking and people are wondering how much is the last name, how much is the player? I do, I will say this, I'll be curious your thoughts too, just because he started out number one at the beginning of the cycle, moved to two, now he's at five. Why, if you may be asking, why is he at five? To me, it's A, the three ahead of him. We, we've we seen him this year. Whether it, mm -hmm. uh, whether I had a chance to see him play, we, were, we saw him at a future 50 or at the Under Armour game. Yeah. Um, all three of those guys we've had a chance to see more of in person. I do think that, I've said it before, I still believe that he is way more than his last name. I've had a chance to do two uh, Newman games, mm -hmm. uh, his sophomore and his junior year. Uh, a chance to be around him a little bit. He's really quiet, but he's really cerebral. I mean, he's got a mm -hmm. great feel for the game, which you would expect. I do think he's talented. Unlike his uncles, he can run. And I, and yep. I do think in a game setting, I think he's really tough. I, I mean, I've seen him take hits and battle back. The thing that makes me nervous, though, compared to the other three is we haven't seen him a ton outside of high, high school games. And I get you're a Manning, and I get you go to the uh, uh, the Manning Passing Academy and you you know, you mm -hmm. grow up talking to position, but it would still would have been nice. Maybe I'm being selfish, but it still would have been nice at, at some point to see him show up to one thing, whether it be an Under Armour camp or an Elite 11 or somewhere, just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to throw the ball around, show what I do. I almost feel a little bit like it's a little bit too much of a circling of the wagons. Too insulated. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. And, and what would have been great is to be able to see him do that at a place where being such a strong quarterback class, there is four or five other guys there yeah. that are highly regarded, highly recruited. 
and to see them battle and, and compete uh, against one another. I think I think the fact, to be honest with you, and I look back on it when we first started looking at this thing, particularly with the UC report, um, had he not been a four-year starter, I think it might have helped him. Because the fact that he was a starter on varsity as a true freshman, coupled with the last name, it led to two extra years of hype, warranted or unwarranted, oh, okay. right? And if you look, if you think about that, let's just say his last name's Manning, and he played sparingly as a sophomore for this school, and he goes into his junior year, and he ends up becoming a two-year starter. I obviously the expectation is going to be high, but I don't know if it would it would be as high as it was because of him feeling like like I feel like he's been in high school for six years. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, it, I mean, you, you really kind of get that sense, and I think to all of us, two level of competition was a little was a little bit concerning. Um, but that's not the only trait or critical yeah. factor that we got to, we got to, and you're right. It's not so much a, a, a reflection or an indictment on him, but more of a reflection on Peter Woods. And, you know, like we've already talked about with Malachi or Dante or, or Jackson and, you know, time will tell. And, and, and if, <laughs> and I, I've had Texas a couple of times, if Quinn Ewers doesn't start playing more consistently, He's not going to be the quarterback at Texas, and there's going to be a great opportunity. I'll tell you one thing, though. If Arch Manning better not lose his playbook the way he loses his student ID, or they're <laughs> never going to they're <laughs> never have a chance to win a game. Yeah, ball security is the same level. We're in big trouble. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's taking too many risks with the ball. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one thing um, from inside our ESPN database, Arch Manning's scouts grade actually did not go down at all. It was quite no, literally right. the scouts grade of the players who jumped over him being increased and moving above him in the rankings, yeah. just in terms of, you know, what those other players he kind of earned and accomplished in different settings, as opposed to, you know, Arch, we had his grade and it just kind of stayed pat. Well, the it circles back to the, the, the small margin that separates. Yeah, them. sure. But I, I did want to yeah. touch on that just because he did go from start of the cycle from one to five mm -hmm. and five is still elite. And as you mentioned, I, I'm with you. When he committed to Texas, I said, don't be surprised if he if he winds up overtaking viewers at some point, yeah. just because I do think he has such a great feel for the game and and uh, he, is, he is so talented. But again, that's, that is why, though, those guys in front of him, we've seen a little bit more. Uh, and so I think maybe you feel like you could – maybe more confidently check some of the boxes with those other four guys ahead of them that maybe you can yeah. at this stage. I think all of them really love football though. Yeah. I mean, I feel good about that. I, I'm, you know, one guy I'm concerned about that I think might be in love with NIL a little bit too much and I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't hurt him, hoping it doesn't backfire. But um, I think that's something that in this day and age at the high school level, we got to worry about with all kids, man, yeah. is, is you get so caught up in all of this other stuff. And at the end of the day, you, you seem to forget that, wait a minute, my value is only based off of performance or production. And if I just do that, all that other stuff will take care of itself. But if I go in thinking, oh, I got all this made because I got this, this, and this during recruiting, and then you go out and you lay an egg, it's all going to go away. Yeah. You know, and I think that's yeah. something that we got to be careful with these youngins that are getting caught up in it. Well, the perfect recipe for disaster is to give a lot of money to a young player and then give them an easy way out the transfer portal. It's like there's somehow, oh, it's not, the, somehow the NCAA managed to come up with a, uh, a cocktail of let's, let's, let's potentially stunned, make things as bad as we can by bringing oh. these two things together. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, even like the, the Jaden Rashada saga, 
like what what's real, what's not. Obviously, with innuendo, speculation, rumors, there's probably some layer of truth in there, right? But at the end of the day, and this isn't a this is not a negative on Jaden Rashada. He agreed to whatever deal, whether it was for thirteen dollars, thirteen thousand dollars, or thirteen million dollars, and they didn't come through on their end of the bargain. That's on them. That's not on the kid. But what in the world are the adults in the room doing purportedly putting together a deal like that at a position that rarely pans out? You are literally flushing money down the toilet. But if you can get it as a player, I get it by all means. And you know what? Do it now, because at some point or another, this is all going to come to a screeching halt and the market's going to get reset. But, um, man, I mean, these (laughs) I tell you what. I wish I had some of the money to burn that a lot of these folks seem to have because they just want to throw it right down the drain and they don't care if it pans out. Or in the case of Rashada, not to burn. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, Luke, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Rashada. So he's a, a quarterback who we have just below that you know, top group. He's number 31 in the final ESPN 300. 24-7 also has him in their top 30. Two of the other sites have him outside of the top 150. Um, I didn't track it exactly. I don't know if he was just dropped recently or if that's kind of been their rankings throughout the process. But despite all the stuff that's kind of swirling around with him and his recruitment, um, why did you or what did you see from him at the Under Armour game just overall throughout the process that kind of let you hold in on that ranking where we have him as a player? I just think he's really poised. Um, you know, I've had people ask me physically who he reminds me. He reminds me a lot of Jaden Daniels when he came out and signed with Arizona State. I don't know if he's as a dynamic takeoff and run type of guy, but he can run. But just kind of that smooth stroke, everything kind of looks effortless. I like his even keeled demeanor in terms of when things are good or things are bad or maybe just things aren't happening. He kind of maintains the same composure. Um, I mean, listen, there's a there's a reason why. You know, he was a nationwide recruit, not a not a West oh, yeah. Coast recruit, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, and I, I just think he brings some of those athletic traits now that, you know, everybody, you almost have to have. it. I mean, you almost you do. You almost have because if you don't have it now and I'm not knocking guys that can't run, but the game and the position has changed. And defensively now, coordinators, when they see a quarterback that that is not a threat to run, they're playing 11 on 10. Yeah. Right. They know that they've got an advantage. Well. That's not the case when the guy can take off and run on you. I mean, you look at Kirby Smart, you look at Nick Saban, look at some of these best guys that have the best personnel in college football, and what have they struggled against? A quarterback that can run and the zone read stuff. So I think it's really uh, one of the stronger traits that he brings. And so as we wrap up kind of the quarterbacks, you know, I I do, I was kind of just looking around, and I, I kind of want to put my time capsule guy in. As far as somebody who I think is outside of 300, we haven't really talked about, but I think is really interesting player. Uh, and and I remember talking to you about him at the Dallas Under Armour camp last spring, and that's Keldrick Luster, who signed with SMU. And he is an interesting player because he measured in at 5'10", 227 pounds as a quarterback, but going to SMU, and I had a chance to see him as a junior. He was at Liberty, finished up his senior year at McKinney, but uh, just a football playing dude who looks like a running back. Uh, I think he has, he's going to, he may have to stiff arm people wanting to move him to running back, but he's just <laughs> a player. And in that SMU offense and that quarterback room is going to get a little bit loaded now, but I'd be interested to see where he goes. So for me, looking past the 300 into the three stars, that's one guy I'm really intrigued yeah. to, to kind of see what may happen to him. So 
Uh, I just want to put that in a time capsule because if it, if he turns out to be a really good player at SMU, we're going to dig this <laughs> up. And if not, we're, we're nobody will we'll surely forget about it. So <laughs> I wasn't trying to be rude. I was looking down at my phone because as you brought that up, it was my text message to Rhett Lashley saying, "Are you have you seen this guy? We just saw him here. He's not very big." And uh, and so it's so funny. You have of all the guys, you happen to bring him up. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. good play. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he does. He doesn't look the part, but man, he just he just plays, man. He's a good, he just plays. He's an excellent player in that offense. So it will be uh, it will be interesting to see. Um, all right, so we've talked about the quarterbacks. We had a bunch of other guys really rise up the rankings, and um, I wanted to toss them to you guys and get your opinion on them. what did these players do to go from that high four star range in the five star range, and what are you seeing in them? Let's start with uh, Keon Keeley, the edge. Well, going back to Arch Manning, I had a chance to see Keon Keeley a year ago when they went to Louisiana to play Arch and Newman, and he was just, I mean, he was just hell on wheels. I mean, they did not have an answer. And, um, he's just, listen, you can't teach that type of length. And he yeah. moves really well. He's agile. And to be really honest with you, like we had him outside of the top five all the way up to the end, and we probably should have been in there earlier. Uh, I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah, we probably should have done it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what final rankings are for—to make those adjustments. Yeah. And uh, and now he's in there, and he's really, you know, I think we were talking earlier. At one point, he was a part of Notre Dame's class, but yeah, to get him yeah. into uh, to get him into Alabama to be able to flip him is just—he's he, quick, he moves well, and just to be that that long, uh, it's it's you know, like I said, he should have been a five star. Now he is, and you know, <laughs> and that's why it's the final. Yes, Guess guess who his host was at uh, Alabama? Oh, uh, Will Anderson. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, Raylan Wilson, the linebacker committed to her at this point, signed with uh, Georgia, one of the biggest risers for us. You can't you can't base everything off of one game or one week, but when you are on the field with the best of the best of the best nationwide, and you stand out that much, you go up. I mean, I don't, Craig, if you feel the same way um, from the moment he checked into the end of the fourth quarter of, of the game down in Orlando, uh, he might have been the best defensive player on both teams. He, his ability just to close, to go from a position of just kind of being, you know, quote unquote, buzzing your feet to seeing the football and closing yeah. on it was impressive. Like every time, like he multiple yeah. times, you found yourself going, whoa. You know, when you think about where he's going and the way George has been able to reload and lose guys in the NFL, like, you know, part of being a five-star is the, you know, I think you would agree, Tom, is just to be able to get on campus and start contributing right away. And from what we saw, there's no reason to think that Raven Wilson couldn't be another one of those Georgia freshmen on defense. And you want to start checking boxes for five-star prospects? He was pursued by, you know, some of the best programs in the country all the way through. He has linebacker size. He has running back combine measurables, the sub 1100 meter. Then he goes down to the Under Armour game and dominates against the best of the best. So really no boxes left to check at a high school level for a player like that. Kind of like Roquan Smith was. Remember when we had him? Yeah. Another linebacker kind of in a similar mold, Sunterine Perkins, the old Miss signee, was another fast riser up. Yeah, so I walked away from that week, Tom, and I'm like, this is – this is this year's version of Harold Perkins. He, ah, I like it. Athletic. I mean, his what he did in the state title game alone deserved a fifth star. I mean, he carried the football 32 times for 337 yards, four touchdowns, 
converted four two-point conversions, and then also had an interception on defense. <laughs> you want to talk about putting in a full day's work and then watching him down there, just the way that he kind of moved or versatility. I don't, I mean, I'm trying to think the last time that maybe Old Miss has had a guy like him on defense. Well, and the thing is, too, when you think about that and going back to really early on when we first saw him, he was predominantly playing on offense. So, like, yeah. how did you how do you project him? It's one of the reasons we put him in the in the athlete category. But one of the also one of the things that's so intriguing about that and gives him, in my opinion, such value is he's only scratching the surface of what he could be on defense because he hasn't played on that side of the ball as much. Right. I think he could be a designated pass rusher. In their 3-3 defense, he can play on either one of the outside deals, and he can rush any gap, and then he can play in space. So I, I think he's he, he's one of the more special players in the entire class. Yeah, and then again, make sure you have him in when you got to go for two points. <laughs> That's right. So you got a feel for it. You guys talked about the length with uh, Keeley, another edge player with that type of length. P.J. Adeboare, the Oklahoma signee, 6'4", 230, with an 84-inch wingspan. Incredible testing numbers across the board is another one of the new five stars in the rankings. Yeah, of the players that we talked about, I think he's still probably have the has the most work to do, but uh, mm-hmm. his ceiling is huge. And I remember he kind of we knew about it beforehand, but seeing him at Kansas City uh, Elite Underclassman Camp was where he he tested off the charts. Mm-hmm. He looks the part, still raw, earned an invite. Uh, to the Under Armour game at that event and just has continued just to kind of the trajectories continue to kind of go up and again there the things that he was doing the again he probably wasn't as consistent as those other three uh, those other two Tom uh, Keon was uh, in San Antonio but for PJ for PJ though those flashes there with the athleticism and the length you got to figure uh, oh. what the future could hold I mean they got to be so excited there they're in, they are so thirsty for difference makers on defense at Oklahoma. They've got to get that run upgraded. Um, Brent Venables, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball, I think made a big pick. That, 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 was, a, that was a huge get for them because you, when you combine his, I think, long-term ability and then them getting Jason McCullough in the transfer portal, I mean, they may have instantly upgraded. Even if, you're, even if, 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 if PJ's playing in a limited role, but you're bringing them along slowly, it's an upgrade over what they're currently at. Yeah, there's, there is absolutely no doubt that they had a need on defense and were able to kind of uh, uh, address that uh, quite a bit with, uh, with players like him. You've got Peyton Bowen, the other, another five-star uh, yep. in the secondary, uh, Deshaun McCullough out of the transfer portal. Uh, so for Oklahoma, trying to rebound. And uh, you also, anytime you look at Oklahoma, anytime you look at Texas, you also have to start factoring the move to the SEC, uh, which is going to put them both from the top of the Big 12. Uh, into kind of a dogfight, maybe <laughs> in the middle of the pack there in the SEC. I mean, think, think about it. Texas Texas A&M has sniffed the SEC championship game one time since 2012. Once. That's it. That's it. That's all. And so, yeah, Texas and Oklahoma better start loading up up front. <laughs> and then the, the last guy I want to talk about, too, that's kind of made a lot of uh, headlines is, is Peter Woods. He ended up our number one ranked defensive player and kind of the buzz around Orlando during the Under Armour week uh, was that in totality, obviously, a lot of the other sites were there and chatting with those guys and everything is like, oh, really disruptive. But does he we've talked about it with PJ. We've talked about it with Keon doesn't have the length and all that. But back, Tom, and I and I look at his measurables 
And I don't know, remember Ed Oliver? Ed Oliver wasn't very big. I no, mean, at all. I mean, Ed, Ed Oliver was probably a little bit shorter than him. Uh, but what he did through that week to be that explosive and to going into that defense, I just, to me, I think we all kind of, while we argued about a few things, I don't think there was really any argument that Peter Woods kind of remained, was a five-star, remained a five-star and deserved to bump up. Yep. And, and it was, again, because of how he performed against better people, yeah. right? Um, and we've seen the opposite of that before, too, where a guy just can't handle getting beat because he's never gotten beat before. Um, but I, I, I think Peter Woods, I think you might have mentioned it. You made a, a Tyler Davis comp, yeah. um, which I think is very, very fair. Um, yeah, so I, that, that's a huge get. And again, it's a kid and in, in, in credit Clemson, credit Dabo Sweeney. When you, we could go, if we wanted to go back and just look at the impact players that Clemson has signed, that has essentially created what we know Clemson to be now. And all of them are out of state. I mean, virtually almost all of them. There are so few in-state guys that have made that program what it is. And it just shows you, number one, what good recruiters they are. But, um, you know, if you can get a guy on campus, and that, that's the beauty of their proximity, right? I asked Davos Sweeney one time, right when they came up with the, uh, the spring official visits, I said, are you, are you guys going to dial in on that? Are you going to get involved? He goes, heck no. He goes, if there's a player that's good enough to play here within 200 miles of this campus and he won't drive here on his own in the spring or the summer, we ain't getting him anyway. Yeah. I thought it was a great, it was a great answer. It just shows you where Clemson is situated. I mean, they drive 25 minutes. They're actually in the state of Georgia. Yeah. They can drive an hour and a half. They're in North Carolina. They obviously got Tennessee and, and they've got their state, which I think is top heavy strong, but just doesn't have depth. But it just goes to show you um, your proximity to players is everything. Yeah. He's another guy. Would not at all be surprised to see him make an immediate impact, much like Tyler Davis did or, or yeah. Ed Oliver, obviously, at Houston, a little bit different. Uh, but, yeah, that one to me was kind of a no-brainer. He may not be the tallest, the longest, but he is so explosive, plays with leverage, uses his hands, uh, play inside, could play on the edge if he needs to, just phenomenal football player. Uh, and like I said, that was kind of one for us, was, was pretty unanimous. Sticking on uh, the uh, topic of height and woods and maybe the length and height that he doesn't have. And we started the show with a little dig at me and producer Danny uh, <laughs> on height. But, hey, let's talk about this trend at receiver. You mentioned this last time we had you on, Lugs, about height not mattering nearly as much at the receiver position. You know, we see some of the best guys on Sunday in the NFL are not tall guys. We have Zachariah Branch as our number one receiver, Kai Lemon as our number two, even Jontae Cook making a small bump up as a six footer at number three. I know I find myself, uh, you know, doing work on the max speed project. Some of the most intriguing yeah. young players in the country are these shorter, absolute screamer jets. So yeah, just what are your thoughts on that? Again, those are our top three guys, you know, that development at the receiver position where heights just kind of less of a factor. I think that the best thing that ever happened to the sub 5'11 or sub 5'10 receiver in all of football was the evolution of the spread offense because it allowed you to put guys in places where they were in the open field, they were in space, and you might not have to be perfect with the throw. Because that's the one thing that you got to – you know, we talk about 50-50 ball guys or guys that are really good in the, with contested matchups. 
well, look at their wingspan. Like, look at their height. Like, you, you, you can throw it up and just let's, let's see what happens. But if you're downfield in a one-on-one situation like that with a 5'9 guy who maybe doesn't take the top off the defense, you know how accurate you have to be to have a chance for that guy to actually catch the football. And so I think with the bubble screens and the inside slants, slant routes more than ever before, and I think of people like you know Tyreek Hill or you think of the Jalen Waddles, you think of some of these guys at John Metchie, some of these guys that just aren't very big, but they can run, they can get open, right? And so they don't have to constantly have the ball be thrown right on them, you know, and or excuse me, the the, the ball doesn't have to be perfect because somebody's not right on top of them. And and it helps if we were in more of your traditional one tight end, two back, a split end, and a flanker, right? It's hard to have one of those two or either of those two be five foot nine at the receiver position. But now if you get three or four of those guys on the field at the same time, I really think that the offensive scheme and the evolution of college football has helped kind of get that player back into a prominent role. And let's not forget, when that player is a return specialist, then you've got you've got a real dynamo on your hands. And in terms of the durability of those players too, a lot of the rule changes, the emphasis yeah. on uh, you know concussions and targeting in the college game for the guys that are running those choice routes underneath. You know they're still yeah. taking blows, but they're not the kill shots that <laughs> receivers were taking right. 20, 30 years ago. Well, <clears throat> we uh, took a little bit of a dive there into the three hundred. Now is next up, Tommy is a junior three hundred, and to now the twenty twenty four class. So the good thing is we get to do it all over again. So. <laughs> For, for our, what is this our 19th year yeah i think it's yeah, close so to 19 we still got to wrap up this class uh on the first and then everybody can take a deep breath and then the uh, anger level can, could start skyrocketing back up <laughs> dial it up My favorite time of every day but uh, I, I had a i had a fan i had a fan uh, uh this past week said something or something and i was like i was like complaint department is to the left Please take a ticket and get in line. And it's a very, very long line. Yes. <laughs> we will get to you as soon as we can. And yeah. then the music starts as <laughs> <Yeah>. they wait. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're hoping to uh we're hoping to service all 2023 complaints before we start 24, but we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. We better get a staff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, looking forward to start. But appreciate the time again to go to ESPN.com. The updated ESPN 300 rankings are there. Uh, myself and Tom have some content there with some of the big movers and shakers, but uh, Wade and myself appreciate you taking the time to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this uh, class as we get ready to get going and wrap up this class. And again, uh, make sure you look for Tom all spring long on the XFL coverage and uh, as well, I'm sure we'll-, we'll Third time's see. a charm, guys. Yeah. Third yeah. time's a charm. <laughs> it really is. There you go. And uh, we'll see you at camp as well, but thank you uh, for the time, yeah. Tom. All right, guys. See you later. See you, Luke. Wait, I mean, it's always great to have Tom join us as an integral part in everything that we do and putting together the rankings. And again, the ESPN 300 is kind of locked, set for the 2023 class. Now it's up to father time to see how <laughs> how we did. Um, but this cycle is not quite over. Again, we're about a week away from the uh, second signing period beginning on February 1st. Not a rewind handful of years, I forget how long the early signing period has now been in action, but this used to be the ramp up 
Uh, all the visits, official visits. Not anymore. Commitments coming in. This is the falling out. Fast and furious <laughs> as we head into the first seven uncommitted players uh, in the ESPN 300. Jaden Rashada being one of those. Nicholas Harbour, Deuce Robinson, Roderick Pleasant, Walker Lyons, and the uh, Harris Twins, Andrew and Michael. Six players uh, committed but unsigned. Uh, so a little bit of intrigue out there. And as we, as things are certainly much quieter, you know, heading into the first and beginning of that second signing period. Still some schools have been pretty active. Nebraska, uh, for one, several pickups this week. Yeah, most of the action has been uh, with portal players. Portal now closed, but portal players making uh, commitments before this February signing date. Nebraska has picked up a couple targets for the passing game. Two of the three, which are from new assistant uh, coach Bob Wager's former high school at Martin there in uh, Texas. So, yeah, not a ton left out there for teams to scoop up at the high school level, but some schools still adding on uh, at this late stage. Yeah, one of those players, Ishmael Smith-Flores, a tight end, long, tall, long, good player. I think the only thing I'm watching and the only thing that kind of as, for, as tall and long as he was, they consistently go up and kind of attack the football, but kind of a smooth player, a nice pickup there, obviously, Bell. But Nebraska sitting just outside the top 25. Uh, current class rankings on ESPN.com. Obviously, those will update again. And Nebraska, uh, Matt Rule trying to make a push to get inside the top 25. Someplace that Deion Sanders in Colorado already are with the big flip of uh, Cromani McLean. Of course. Um, uh, last week from Miami uh, to Colorado. So, again, not quite the volume of moves, but still some big moves. And I mentioned that again. Uh, you still will see what happens with Jaden Rashada. Uh, Deuce Harbor. Uh, excuse me, Nicholas Harbour, Deuce Robinson. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just I took two outstanding tight ends and just made one big freak <laughs> tight end. <laughs> That'd be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. <laughs> well, and those two, they're ranked right next to each other. Yeah. And I was kept like you, you and I actually, uh, we sit uh, next to each other in the office and. I was like, well, we should really move. And you're like, no. Like, it was, <laughs> you know, you talk about how small the margins are. We, you and I had our own little debate about whether Nicholas Harbour or Deuce Robbins should be first, and they're right next to each other. But two outstanding tight ends. But anyway, I am not melding them into one player. They are two separate players on opposite coasts. Uh, the, school, both? the school's still pursuing them or having yeah. that also. Yeah. <laughs> well, Oregon won in the mix for uh, both of them. Uh, Maryland, Michigan also in the mix for Nicholas Harbour, Deuce Robinson. Uh, uh, Georgia, South Carolina, excuse me, USC, uh, Southern California. I'm all over the place here. And then uh, and Texas as well. Uh, so Oregon, Georgia, two teams that could actually wind up having kind of, uh, even though mo- much uh, is kind of already wrapped up and done, I think Georgia and uh, Oregon are two classes to watch that potentially could continue to add some more pieces uh, to their classes. So not done yet. We'll have a wrap-up of National Signing Day uh, coming up soon after that. I don't know if we'll have a chance on it. Obviously, we'll both be pretty busy uh, that Wednesday, but soon after, kind of recap everything. As we mentioned, those will, those six, seven players will find a home. We'll see if the six were unsigned, signed, and signed where they are committed. Uh, we will have some coverage on ESPN2 on National Signing Day. Check your local listings. We'll have a couple of... Uh, couple of commitments during that hour as well so uh please join us and obviously everything there on espn.com but uh great talk there on espn 300 wade as i mentioned we get ready now wrap this one up and then start on the 2024 class and continue to update that espn junior 300 which will become the next 2024 espn 300 so we will join you again after this second signing period but if in the meantime as you get ready for 
the next signing period on the 1st, if you've missed any previous ones, which include uh, guests like the current number one player in ESPN 300, Malachi Nelson, anywhere you find podcasts, can go back and, and listen to those until we join you again. And I hope you enjoy uh, the next signing period. Again, it won't be quite the same. It's not quite the same, Wade, but still some big headlines to follow. Until next time, this is the Recruiting Blitz podcast powered by the UC Report.